element man. Metamorpho, metamorpho, starts out in old Egypt land. Metamorpho, metamorpho, Rex Mason was his real name. Metamorpho, metamorpho, a soldier of fortune didn't care about fame. Shag, and along with me, as always, is my co-host, the zany Rob Kelly. How you doing, buddy? I was about to say things are going to get nuts, but I think uh, for this installment, they're a little less nuts than normal. Less nuts than normal, but there's still a lot of stuff to talk about here, and that just makes you go, huh? So it uh, definitely falls in the zany category, but not like wacky crazy, I think. But still fun. I mean, Bob Haney knows his way around a story, whether it makes absolutely no sense or not. Every single – I think we've always agreed. Whether whether it makes continuity sense or not, every story is well-constructed and put together and tells a great – either a break, uh, breakneck tale or something fun and interesting. So I, I think both of these qualify. Oh, I yes. I enjoyed both of these stories uh, very much. So, and we should say that uh, just a couple of days earlier, it was Bob Haney's birthday. Oh. He was born – on March 15th, 1926. So uh, wherever you are, Mr. Haney, happy birthday. Wow. Now, for some of you at home are going, sixth Zany Haney, what? Uh, you may have forgotten because the last time we did one of these, Rob and I were face-to-face, which, by the way, is not a pretty <laughs> thing, uh, in Charlotte, North Carolina, in the airport. You ain't lying. In, uh, <laughs> back in June 2017, nearly two years ago is the last time we did one of these things, Rob. Can you believe that? I guess we're going to have to uh, interrupt the show with uh, some sort of voice announcer telling people oh, when flights are booked. Gosh, or something. I totally forgot about that. Oh, God. If people go back and listen to that one, the number of times Rob had to edit that stuff out was actually unbelievable. <laughs> oh, my gosh. So, well, before we get too much further, we should probably take a second to thank our sponsor. Folks, this episode of the Fire and Water Podcast, or the Zany Haney Spectacular, whatever you want to call it, is sponsored in part by InStockTrades.com. InStockTrades is your best online source for trades, hardcovers, and other collected editions, all from up to 42% off with free shipping for orders of $50 or more. What'd you bring this time, Rob? Well, I have, uh, it's the pretty obvious pick, but who cares? It's uh, <laughs> Batman, Brave and the Bold, the Bronze Age Omnibus Volume 1. It collects Brave and the Bold numbers 74 through 91. They're written by Bob Haney, drawn by, among others, Ross Andrew and Neil Adams. They feature team-ups of between Batman and the Metal Man, the Spectre, Plastic Man, Green Arrow, which will come into play here, <laughs> Dead Man, the Atom, Wonder Woman also, the Creeper, Hey Ange, the Flash, Aquaman, the Teen Titans, and more. 456 pages. They feature brand new covers by Carl Kershaw. Uh, this cover has Aquaman front and center, which means it's awesome. The normal price is $34.99. In stock trades price, $20.29. That is 42% off. Awesome. Now, which which issues did a reprint? 
74 through 91. Okay. Yeah, folks, just to make it easy for you, I did the next volume, so I'm not going to go through and right. explain all that. It's Brave and Bold Issues number 92 through 109. I wanted to pick that one specifically because it includes this issue uh, that I'm going to cover today with Wonder Woman. So you get you get 18 issues, all the same thing Rob just said, uh, 34.99. In stock trades price is $20.29 normal, and you get so it's 42% off. Heck of a deal. I mean, it's basically a dollar comic, which might seem a little expensive for these giant 400-page tomes nowadays. I mean, that's a great price. It's unbelievable. And it's Bob Haney and Jim Aparo. Oh, excuse me, that's a problem? I don't think so. <laughs> Absolutely gorgeous. Great stuff. Now, I will tell you, this is not what I went looking for initially. Uh, I was trying not to be on the nose. I wanted to go look for uh, a what-if collection. So I thought, uh, you know, Bob Haney stuff could almost border on a what if story sometimes because the continuity is so crazy. And also I wanted to sort of celebrate our friends over the Pulp the Pixel podcast network that have just launched their what if cast and the first episode out. And it was a lot of fun. Really enjoyed it. So uh, look, I did too. Yeah, looking forward to more of those. And uh, I'm, I'm in the what if mood right now. I've actually got several what if collections on my shelves as it is. So could you imagine if Bob Haney had written a what if? Could you tell the difference? <laughs> I, well, that's what I'm saying. Like, it would have been crazy times 100 because it would have been like, hey, Bob, you don't even have to pretend to care about continuity. <laughs> I love that. Absolutely love that. Well, for these folks and all your other tree paperback needs, please visit InStockTrades.com. All right. Well, uh, we have picked two fun stories. One is a full-length comic. One is a short story within a comic. And uh, I guess we're going to pick the Brave and the Bold first. Is that correct? Yeah, let's go in chronological order. All right. So we are picking Brave and the Bold number 105, which is cover dated February 1973. And it is uh, 23 and a half pages. A little unusual there. And the title of the story is Play Now, Die Later. Script by Bob Haney. Art and Letters by Jim Aparo. Now, interestingly enough, this, again, this issue 105, this is only six issues into Bob, um, sorry, Jim Aparo's run on Brave and the Bold. So this is still pretty early in his career. And it, I mean, just the stuff is gorgeous. And I will tell you, I picked this one out of the blind when Rob and I decided to do a Zany Haney. I basically went to comics.org, went to their cover gallery, and just looked at the Brave and the Bold cover so I found what I liked. And I'm like, oh, Yes, Batman holding the you know 1970s Diana Prince new Wonder Woman. We're talking the the white pants suit 1970s karate chopping Wonder Woman. Oh yeah, we're doing that. So it turned out to be a good one though, thankfully. <laughs> and luckily, well, maybe not luckily, but the, at no point in the story does this scene happen. Right? Yeah, I know. So yeah, the cover, <laughs> the cover is it's nighttime and Batman is uh, holding the unconscious Wonder Woman, and they're on a they're on a ship. Specifically, they're on the bow of the ship, and uh, Diana Prince is unconscious in his arms, and this guy is you know, a sailor is a little far away, firing an enormous whale harpoon at them, and Batman looks shocked. And yes, none of this happens in the story. <laughs> now, to be fair, they are on a ship at one point, and. Wonder Woman is knocked out in this story, but that's about and, and it takes place at nighttime. That's about where that ends. So. Right. Ah, Jim, just it's close enough. Right. Okay. <laughs> Zany may even come up with a cover that would that would make even more sense. So here's some interesting history for you. So all right, I told you this thing February. Uh, what did I say? Seventy four. Whatever it was. Seventy three. Seventy three. Okay. Uh, this is the same month when this book was on the shelf. The same month, Wonder Woman number two hundred four is on the shelf. Do you know why two hundred four was important? Is that the beginning? It's not the beginning of the trials, is no. it? Where she where she tries to get back into the Justice League? No, it's actually the end of the new Wonder Woman. It's the end of the white pantsuit era. Oh, wow. Yeah, Denny okay. O'Neill left All the book. Right. Robert Kaniger comes back as editor. And in 204, again, on the shelves the same month as this issue, I Ching is killed in the first few issues. And Diana Prince is very quickly reverted back to the traditional star-spangled Amazon hero. So really, if you want to think about it, this comic – 
is like the last full appearance of Diana Prince, the new Wonder Woman, which is kind of a weird thing to happen. Hmm. Yeah. I that's that's a shame. I kind of I mean I understand why they did it, but I kind of always liked this Wonder Woman. I and I will say I'm secretly hoping that they find a way to give a nod to it in the new Wonder Woman movie that comes out next year. I don't know how they will, but it would be awesome if they. Well, did. they're doing a lot of Diana Prince stuff, and there's, and there's no reason they can't put her in a white jumpsuit, you know, or something like that. Right. And just have her karate chops. Right. That would be awesome. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, I'll get into the recap here. I. It, it may not feel short, folks, but I promise you I have cut tons out of this thing because <laughs> this thing is packed full of story. He, he knew – Bob Haney knew how to pack, I'd say, 70 pages of plot and a 23-page talk about the opposite of decompressed storytelling. So uh, I, I am going to try and hit it at a high level. Uh, so forgive me, and we'll come back later and just say, well, here's a cool thing that happened, and we didn't even talk about it. So, all right. While enjoying a meal at a local Spanish restaurant, Bruce Wayne is taken by the beauty of a young woman who appears to be upset. Later, Bruce, Bruce rescues the woman from some apparent muggers, only to find themselves in the middle of a major shootout. Bruce ducks away and leaps into action as Batman. Sorry, spoilers. Yes, Bruce Wayne is the Dark Knight detective. Sorry about that, folks. Anyway, these two rival groups in the gunfight are from the city of San Sebastian in Spain, and they brought their war to the Spanish sector of Gotham. Now, the beautiful woman, her name is Conchita. Uh, Cheetah? Is that how you say it? Conchita? Conchita Vasquez. So. And her brother is Raul Vasquez, who is a self-professed San Sebastian revolutionary. Now, apparently, Conchita and Raul's father is the leader of the San Sebastian revolutionaries, and he has been kidnapped. The siblings have asked Bruce Wayne to front the ransom money so they may get their father back and claim an enormous treasure. Now, just a recap here. Bruce Wayne meets a gorgeous young lady with a relative being held prisoner by bad guys. And there's a treasure that only the captive knows how to find. And Bruce is being asked to provide the ransom with the promise that he'll later be rewarded for, um, from the treasure afterwards. Oh, oh, by the way, I know we do – I completely forgot about this, Rob. I know we do listener feedback at the end, but I meant to tell you, I got an email from this guy. He's a Nigerian prince, like for real, and he and his family are in desperate need of some help. So all you and I need to do, Rob, is uh, give him an initial investment, and then we're going to get back an enormous reward. Like I just assume you're on – I already said yes and gave him your bank account number. I hope that's okay. Yeah, it sounds like a good deal. Does he need to log into the Fire and Water Network site as well? Well, I gave him all that stuff. Uh, specifically, oh, okay. I gave Nathaniel's login. I figured that was oh, most sense. Fair but, enough. So, yes, folks. Uh, yeah, uh, if you think about the Nigerian Prince scheme here, that's absolutely what's going on here. Yes, Bruce has figured out that he's being played by a very old con called the Spanish Prisoner Game. Now, I had not heard of it. I looked it up. Sure enough, it's a legitimate con that was originated in the late 19th century. It matches everything I just described about the family member, reward, all that sort of thing. And it specifically cites that a modern-day variant is the Nigerian prince money transfer. So that the, the Nigerian thing is a descendant of this con. So Batman is sure the whole thing is this elaborate con that this brother and sister are planning, and he decides he wants to catch him in the act. Except that we find out as the story unfolds, Bruce is completely wrong, and the captive father is completely legitimate. So that kind of is a little surprise for the story. So anyway, uh, in, in Batman decides to enlist the aid of Diana Prince uh, for no other apparent reason than it's a team-up book. So uh, Diana, <laughs> Diana helps by becoming Conchita's escort and her bodyguard, and then Batman keeps expecting the like for them to spring the con, but it just keeps 
getting to proving uh, more and more to be true. So during the investigation, both Batman and Diana Prince get knocked out unconscious by a blow to the back of the head, because, you know, 70s. And eventually they aid the revolutionary, smashing a plot by the corrupt leaders of San Sebastian, trying to smuggle parts for fighter jets from Gotham to Spain. And after defeating the mastermind behind the operation, Batman turns over the parts to the rebels, and Batman gets a kiss from Conchita, which was intended for Bruce Wayne. And Wonder Woman ends the adventure with an ole! <laughs> that is the, believe it or not, short version of this story. What'd you think of it, buddy? I, oh, I loved it. I mean, I think we've talked about this in the previous, at least one or two of these other installments, especially these Brave and Bold stories, where you have to think that in 1973, you know, what was going on in television and that, that, that cop shows were the preeminent art form yep. uh, on television, the way Westerns kind of dominated the 50s and the early 60s, and then it became cop shows. And this, a lot of these Haney stories, especially the Brave and Bold ones, are cop stories. Uh, and in this story in particular, except for a two-panel cameo by an Amazon guardian angel <laughs> who, who, wanders in, who wanders in for no good reason and then departs just as fast, there are no superpowers in this story at all. I mean, this is pretty much a – you could just imagine this as a cop TV show. You know, Star- Batman – yeah, I mean, this is like Batman. NBC's at nine after McClintock. You know, not McClintock. <laughs> yeah. That was a movie. Uh, McCloud. I'm, I'm with you. Yeah. And I mean, it, I mean, it, it ends with that kiss. I mean, you could just picture the credits freezing, and it's like da 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 da. You know, it's a Quentin Martin production. It just has that feel to it. So. I love that there's like a sort of like a, a Spanish part of Gotham. I love that. I think that's cool. I like the whole Spanish prisoner angle. But by, by the way, there was a um, a movie, a David Mamet movie called The Spanish Prisoner. That, that came over my uh, searches as well. Yeah, right. With with Steve Martin, I, I saw it in the theater. It's actually pretty. pretty is it great. about? Is it about the um, con? Basically, oh, yes. okay. It's, See, I had never heard of it. Elaborate version of the con, yeah, yeah. So I just, I don't know. It's all street level stuff, which of, of course Apparel was great at. Uh, the action sequences are great. I love Wonder Woman and her hip hugger outfit. That's really cool. Uh, like I said, I just thought this was a, a a blast. It's just so much fun, and it's funny for how much of the story is Bruce Wayne. Yes, like clearly Haney really liked writing Bruce Wayne millionaire playboy kind of doing a James Bond thing because there's a lot of, out of 23 pages I think he's like Bruce Wayne on like seven or eight of them which doesn't sound like a lot but then you think of modern Batman comics where it's like he's Batman from panel one to the final page right and, well he's always in the tux too so it's not even like he's in a yes. suit it's always the tux <laughs> yeah now I found this one actually you talk about kind of the 70s aspect of, of the cop show I found this one personally kind of educational uh, I actually learned a lot of doing, doing the research of this one about San Sebastian. I'm like, is that a real place? Okay, it is. And then, you know, the revolution going on and the wars that were going on and the, uh, the battles that were going on in the 70s. I didn't know about the Spanish prisoner con. Then at the end, something, by the way, I didn't, again, I, I didn't mention a lot in the recap. There's a whole thing at the end where they're at this huge festival by the sea, which is a, uh, the festival of the fishermen, which is where they, they bless all the fishermen before they go out to sea and there's all these floats and stuff. Yeah, I didn't even get to that, folks. Uh, anyway, uh, <laughs> I, I looked that up. Sure enough, that's a real thing. Uh, sometimes it's called the Fisherman's Feast. Other times it's called like the Blessing. So that's a real thing too with the floats and the, the float of Madonna and everything. So I, I personally, I learned a lot from this. So I thought this is great for a kid. You also learned how to pull a scam. Well, I already knew how to do that. I mean, I've had you on the hook for years. So just waiting to just waiting point. to finally play it out. But why, why does Shag need my three digits on the back of my credit card? <laughs> oh, well. 
<laughs> it's a it's a security thing. But I, I love like the it's funny Haney's the Haneyisms here are great. When, like when he uses Spanish language, which cracks me up. Like he only uses it when it's like super obvious. So it's to make the kids feel like, hey, I'm reading Spanish because they use the word muy or señor or qué pasa or my favorite is bat hombre, which cracks me up. <laughs> I love that. I never get tired of that. And you talked about the Spanish sector of Gotham. I mean. They didn't say it, but I just I felt like they were half a step away from and, and for, forgive me for using these, these terms. I know they're absolutely improper to use, but again, it's the seventies. I feel like they came half a step away from calling it like Spanish Harlem or something like that. That's really how I felt like they were portraying it. It, it it's what it felt like, and it just was. You know, at one point, Batman's actually yelling in the commissioner's face, "Face, blazes, commissioner! The whole Spanish part of Gotham's exploding!" And he's just <laughs> angry as hell about it. And later on, of course, there's the goofy stuff that Haney was great about. Batman's hanging out in the police station, you know, just while they're booking the guy. I can just imagine, you know, because, you know, booking somebody takes a long time. I imagine they're all kind of sitting around. Hey, um, Batman, you do you want a coffee? Yeah. Yeah, that'd be fine. That'd be great. You know, just, <laughs> just hanging out forever. Anyway. These donuts are stale. Right. Okay, all right. Sorry, Batman. <laughs> and then they book Raul, right? He breaks out of the Gotham jail in like, what, 15 seconds? I mean, literally, he's already <laughs> back at his sister's apartment before Batman can even get back there. It's uh, Jim Gordon's just not on his game. I'm just saying. Oh, gosh, I have a bunch of other quick notes. Like other stuff, I, again, didn't even get to the part where there's a meeting with a commissioner at City Hall with all these other city officials where you, you meet. You don't know he's the bad guy at that point, but you meet the bad guy. A lot of stuff like that. Um, you know, Aparo, in this issue, in, in the story, dictated it, but when, he just really delivered on lots of angry people. Like if you flip through the pages here, lots and lots of people yelling. Lots and lots of people, very, very, very angry, and uh, it makes sense because you know the the revolutionaries are always you know things are not going their way. But um, he, he draws a hell of a great angry person taking a swing at somebody. Oh yeah, he's so good. And of course, Conchita is sexy because you know Aparo, uh, nothing goes wrong. Yeah, drew beautiful women. Yep. He's not really like that famous for that exactly, but his women are all incredibly beautiful. They're very sultry without being necessarily like overly. Sexual, yeah, it's say. not crazy. He doesn't put them in scanty outfits or anything like that. Or like Wonder Woman is super smoking here, even though she's in her like basically, you know, there's no skin involved here as opposed to her regular costume. That's but, true. Yeah, he always drew beautiful women. You know, all right, let's talk about Wonder Woman. So uh, she's you know, technically one thing that bothered me was she's not in the white pantsuit. She's wearing white, but like she's wearing blue pants and stuff like that. And at this point, she was always in all white, which I thought that was a little odd. I was like, oh, that's a little disappointing, but. Um, there, there was one incredibly sexist line in here where she swings in to kick the bad guy. She sort of saves the day. She kicks the bad guy who's got the gun at the, the last thing. And, <laughs> yeah, the porthole. Right, she swings in through a porthole. It kicks the guy. And, you know, if you know anything about ships, portholes are not big. And she says, it's good I keep a porthole slim figure, not an Amazon's. <laughs> wow. Really, Diana? Not all those. I, I'm thinner than all those cows back on Paradise Island. <laughs> So, and then I wanted to talk about this Amazon guardian angel you mentioned. Yeah. So WTF, right? So the, I, I had to look this up. So yes, this Amazon guardian angel shows up and says, what you doing? And Wonder Woman's like, I'm going to go help Batman. And they're like, that's cool. And they walk away. And like, really? And then at the end, Wonder Woman's not, or somewhere along the way, Wonder Woman's knocked out and the guardian angel swoops in and saves Wonder Woman from getting hit by a truck. I don't know where, what the heck Heaney was thinking. It's nowhere in the Wonder Woman comics. This is the single only appearance of this Guardian Angel character. And it makes no – it was completely unnecessary. I, what was he thinking? I, I don't know. I'm, I'm baffled by that. I, 
I don't want to read too far into it. By the fa- I, by the way, I said I said that the Amazon Garden Angel says has appears in two panels. She of course appears in three, and it's the third panel where she rescues Wonder Woman. Right. And if you notice the truck that almost oh yeah, I did. Woman over, I did. On the big, there's a big logo on the back, and it says Haney. <laughs> and I almost have to wonder: is that Bob Haney just saying this is his? Uh, you know, no, huh? Well, you said it. Well, I mean, Aparo drew it, so I was, I was right. But I'm wondering if Haney didn't ask him to put it in there. Oh. Almost as this is like, hey, uh, this this Amazon Guardian Angel is is my god in the machine kind of thing. Like <laughs> this is just my plot device. He's lampshading this. Like, okay, here's my plot device. Rescuing Wonder Woman. Okay, let, let's just move on with the rest of the story. But they didn't even need to have Wonder Woman rescue. That's the dumb thing. Was he was unconscious, and later on, she she's up and about. She could have just. Anyway, it, it was so weird, and especially since it's not in any of the other Wonder Woman comics. So Right, and she's still lying there a, a page later. Right. It's not like she wakes up. She's just, she just moved into another spot on the road. So strange. You know, and I realized I asked the question earlier, what was Haney thinking? I mean, that could be the theme of all of these six installments we've done of Zany Haney. But at the same time, let's celebrate it because we love it so much. Last thing I want to mention is, is uh, before I get into the letters page, is this ridiculous prop. Because I, I don't know whether the 60s Batman was in his head at the time or not, but there's this great billboard. It's this billboard of a guy smoking a cigar. Oh, yeah. And the billboard's blowing smoke rings, which is great. And it actually becomes a major plot point. Again, something else I didn't bother to cover. Batman gets kidnapped and is shackled into this this giant billboard. And Batman uses these smoke rings to tr- attract Wonder Woman's attention to let her know he's up there, which is crazy. But uh, it's just it's such like a Batman 66 kind of prop, you know, the, the, the billboard with the smoke rings. I just loved it to death. Yeah, it's it's super fun. I said Apero. I mean, I tend to, of course, focus on Apero because sure. the, Apero in the seventies is my favorite thing of all time, anywhere. But I mean, he is first of all his um, his his use of shape of of like zipatone mm-hmm. and and that is like on point in this one. He has so many sequences where you've got these foreground characters in shadow, and he's using either like a stipple effect or some sort of zipatone to give this thing a little tone. I mean, from the opening splash page of with all the guys with the machine guns. Um, he, I lo- by the way, I do love Batman throwing that child into the car. Right. <laughs> he just picks the kid up and rescues him. You stay down on the floor, and you hit, there's a little sound effect of the kid going, yeah! He's <laughs> running part. in there. <laughs> yeah, I love that. And then I love when Wonder Woman starts tearing into those guys, mm-hmm. and she's doing all the karate kicks, and there's chuck, thuck, thwash. And then she, she says, a duenna's a young girl's protector. I better earn my name. And then she says, aren't all Latin gentlemen? I guess there were some exceptions. And she's beating the crap out of this <sighs> I, I noticed that too. Yes, <laughs> so crazy. You- yeah, it's just like I said. I just I don't know. I love Haney. Just was so interested in. I mean, you couldn't possibly map out Gotham City in a Bob Haney story because it would make no sense. Right. But you really did get a sense of this being a city with like a waterfront and an airport. I mean, he was big on giving you locations that like every major city would have. And not in this one, but there's usually also a creepy church. But yeah. Right, yeah. There's 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 lots of places that other you know cities have, yep. like things you would recognize. And Apara does a great job just illustrating those, especially like you know, when when they're at the waterfront, when the when the parade floats are going on and everything. And uh, just I don't know whether it's these Brave and the Bolds that have done it, or the Batman and the Outsiders I read, or I just recognize it. But I think now I can comfortably say of the Bronze Age, um, my favorite Batman is Aparo's. 
um, which is saying a lot because you know there's the Neil Adams one to choose from. There's a you know there's the Jose Luis Garcia Lopez, praise be his name, his name. version. But no, Aparo's Batman is the Bronze Age Batman for me. He's just gorgeous. I love it. And, and looking at every single panel that Batman's in here, whether it's his expression where he's yelling or fighting or his cowl or punching, it's just damn oh, spot on. Oh, so good. Yeah. Yeah. And I do love that it, we, you mentioned that it ends with the kiss. I love that it's Wonder Woman that says, Ole! <laughs> oh, gosh. And that's how the pantsuited Wonder Woman wraps up her tenure. So, <laughs> now she does have a few pages. Uh, I, I went, actually looked at the Wonder Woman issues today. She does have a few pages before she gets transformed back into the Star Spangled Wonder Woman. So, there, there is a, a, a transition, but it's pretty damn sudden. So, um, did you look at the letters page at all? I did. So there is a uh, Rob loves whiny letters, uh, and I do. <laughs> maybe because he wrote so many as a child. I don't know, but there's <laughs> there's this great one in here. They don't actually print the letter, but uh, and I like how the editor, I guess it's Ed Hannigan, maybe. Um, it doesn't take it seriously. He says, uh, let's see here, a bunch of buffoons who haughtily dubbed themselves the Association for the Survival and Preservation of Intelligent Comics of Madison, Wisconsin, awarded its coveted Hangman's Noose Award to Bob Haney for the worst story, to us for allowing it to be printed, and the Empty Pen Award to Bob Brown and Frank McLaughlin for the best job they could do under the circumstances. Oh my God! Entitled fanboys were back in 1973 as well, writing in nasty letters. Yes, I would like my 20 cents return. Thank you very much. <laughs> Shut up, you bunch of jerks. You mentioned Ed Hannigan. Now, that This is way before Ed Hannigan. Oh, I have to assume this is... Uh, it says Ed down at the bottom, but I assume that that stands for editor. Oh. Uh, short for editor. Uh, there is a letter from Duffy Voland, who went on to work for Marvel Comics. Oh, really? Okay. Uh, yeah, and there is, of course, a letter from Bob Rosakis. saw that. Wow. That... Who would... Who would become quite big in the the history of DC Comics as well, but uh, yeah, no, I, that letter is it's just I don't know I don't know what you would get when you re- receive it's like we're just we're trying to entertain you kids for two dimes what the hell do you want from us you bunch of jerks <laughs> you know I'm very proud of the fact that I never wrote any letter like that <laughs> I, uh, I I wrote one uh, letter like that one time uh, to Suicide Squad. And I mean, it, it, it's not quite as bad as that, but I was whining about the use of. I, I, did you ever read Suicide Squad? Like in the later years? Uh, briefly. Oshner did a fun story. Um, it, it gets deep, but like, okay, did you read the Animal Man run by Grant Morrison? I did. Okay, Grant Morrison put himself in the Animal Man series. That's how it wraps right, up. Right. And so Oshner thought it'd be funny to have the Grant Morrison character be on the Suicide Squad. He's called the writer, and like he writes stuff, and it makes and it becomes reality. And he was only there as a gag to get killed, if I remember correctly. And it was funny, but I wrote in all like nerd, like, well, I was very, you know, I don't think it was right of you to, you know, <laughs> demean the Animal Man run by doing this. And you better not mess with characters like Kid Eternity either, because those are really important to me. And so, yeah, I did one of those. <laughs> yeah, I know, I know. I think it's like issue sixty-two or something like that. Anyway, but uh, I did notice here in the letters page. Also, there is a big announcement about going on over in World's Finest. They announced the beginning of the Super Sons, which was great. It was very exciting. In all caps, yes. Yes, I know. So that made me very, very happy. So, uh, again, this is a different kind of zany. This is more like a, as you said, a, a 70s cop show. In, in While there weren't lots of car chases, it is that same kind of vibe where, you know, big explosions, things flipping over, crazy stuff. It is that sort of zany haney where you're just, you grab onto the dashboard and hope you survive the 70s cop show. So that's what this one is. I said, I love these shows. And it makes me wonder, like, did, like you could you have done this as a TV series? I mean, probably not. 
not budget wise, but when you think about how how street level these stories were, it's like you really kind of could have done it. I guess Batman would, in '73 was still the hangover from the TV show. The '60s show was was so huge that you probably couldn't have done a quote unquote serious Batman TV show. But man, these stories I think would have been like the template because they just had that feel to. Them. Well, you know, you you got me thinking about that when we did a recent episode of the Who's Who podcast. If you folks don't listen to that, um, where we talked about the Batmobile. And there was one from the – I think it was called – Chris Franklin kind of helped us identify. It's called like the Batman – the Batmobile of the 1950s or something like that. And it's just a sedan mm-hmm. with a bat face on – or bat cowl on, on the hood. I mean that's exactly right. what you'd be driving. What are those big muscle cars in the 70s, a sedan? And that's what, that's what your cop show would be like? Yeah, he would have had an informant. I mean, he could have had Alfred in it. I mean, the whole I love that Alfred's totally the chauffeur here, by the way. And he's got a chauffeur outfit. Yes. He's got the cap and the whole the whole bit. Like, he dresses up like a chauffeur. He's not just a butler. He does everything. I mean, that's you know what? Actually, Batman gets knocked out twice in this story. And that used to happen a lot back then. It would totally be like a Rockford Files kind of thing where Batman mm-hmm. gets a crap yeah. beat out of him every episode. It would have been so cool. Oh, too much fun. All right. Well, uh, you want to move on to yours, buddy? Yeah, let's move on to that one. Like I said, uh, I picked a, a more low-key one myself. This is a Green Arrow story. Uh, it's from World's Finest, number 266. Uh, the story is called I Shot an Arrow into the Air. And of course, it's written by Bob Haney, drawn by Trevor Von Eden and Rodden Rodriguez. Uh, the letterer is Shelley Lefferman. The colorist is Jerry Serpe, or Serp, I don't know how you say it. And the editor is uh, Jack C. Harris. Now, there's only this story is only seven pages. Mm-hmm. So uh, the plot – actually, eight pages, excuse me. Uh, the plot is very bare bones, and I'm not going to get into the details until we actually just talk about the story in question, which is Daily Star editor George Taylor Jr. hopes to expose Green Arrow as Oliver Queen by having Green Arrow sit on the flagpole for 48 hours on behalf of a charity. But Green Arrow delivers his daily column each day with some help from Dinah Lance and catches a band of crooks out to steal the gold-plated star from atop the newspaper building. <laughs> so what I loved about this one was it is not um, zany Haney in terms of character where people are acting completely bizarre, you know. He's sitting on top of a flagpole for an entire day. Okay, but but that's the premise. Okay. That's the premise. The premise is zany Haney. But, I mean, once Green Arrow is on the flagpole, he acts like Green Arrow. Okay. Is All what right. I'm saying. I'll give you that. Okay. You know what I mean? It's not like that. We did that one story a couple of zany Haney's ago where Batman was like, let's go trucking, Plastic Man. You know, like, what the hell is Batman talking about? <laughs> but here, I mean, again, you have to go by this premise. It's very much kind of like a 60s Superman story yes. where Superman does something nutty for charity and then he gets himself on those sorts of scrapes because of course Green Arrow being a newspaper columnist is like the absolute worst job if you're trying to be a superhero is you give yourself a daily deadline mm. it kind of reminds me when Clark Kent became a news a, um, a news a, a, a TV w- news GBS, like, yeah yeah, GBS Newsman. It's like, that's the absolute worst career for him to have, for a guy that's constantly in other universes and stuff. But anyway, I had never read this story before until this one, because I, I said I was just sort of curious as to what other stories he did that weren't Brave and the Bolts, because we tend to go back to that. Yeah. And Haney did have a bit of a, uh, a history with the character. He wrote two, two Golden Age adventures uh, for Adventure Comics in the 50s. Wow. He wrote Brave and the Bold number 50, 
with uh, which is the team up of uh, Marche Menhunter and Grunar, which is the very first team up ah. to be in Brave and the Bold. And he wrote seven Batman Green Arrow team ups okay. during the course of uh, Brave and the Bold. And then he got this strip. Uh, he took over from Jerry Conway as of World's Finest number 263. He lasted through 273, and then Mike W. Barr picked up. But anyway, I really enjoyed the story because it is just so ridiculous. I mean, it's just Green Arrow is sitting there while manages to to uh, write his daily, quote-unquote, write his daily column. And how does he do it? Well, with the assistance, of course, with Dinah Lance, because he sends her secret messages via his arrows that she picks up and decodes and turns into columns. But doesn't he do one where he's tapping his foot like a number of times, too, in Morse code for her to pick up? Oh, my gosh. So, all right, this story is fun and wacky, but it's for me, it's irritating as hell because it is a total ridiculous uh, 1960s Superman story because it's not just – him doing Superman doing something for charity or Green Arrow doing this thing with a stupid flagpole. It's all about uh, Oliver Queen's editor, George Taylor Jr., trying to prove that Oliver Queen and Green Arrow are the same person. It is totally a Lois Lane trying to prove Superman and Clark Kent are the same guy story. And those right. always irritated me. And this irritates me just as much. And um, I mean, there's certainly funny aspects, and the art's really nice, and it was great seeing Black Canary doing stuff. And some of the, the way they solve certain puzzles is just ridiculously funny. But um, Dinah sends him a message by, by turning on and off the lights on a building. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my gosh. Now, at first, I sat here, and, and I had to do some research on this. It, 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 you, you mentioned it. You called it George Taylor Jr., so obviously you knew your stuff here. They don't say Jr. in here. They just say Editor George Taylor of the Daily Star. And I read that, and I'm like, WTF. George Taylor was Earth 2's editor of the Daily Star, Clark Kent's boss, you know, instead of uh, Perry White. I'm like, what is going on? So do you know the whole history with this thing? Actually, I don't. Okay. So basically they introduced – they started by introducing George Taylor the th- – oh, well, okay. So the Earth 2 – George Taylor is the editor of the Daily Star. God, I hope I don't have that wrong. But anyway, uh, and he's Clark Kent's boss, and and eventually, you know, it becomes Perry White and whatnot. But George Taylor was always known as that. So then we're on Earth One. So that's why I'm scratching my head, going, "What is George Taylor doing there?" And they introduced back in um, 1977. They introduced George Taylor the Third, who was like an Olympic athlete. And the whole thing was he's under attack because his dad had run a story in the Daily Star in Seattle. So, or, or Star City. I'm sorry, Star City. So that's how George Taylor got introduced in this world. So apparently the, the original George Taylor was with some newspaper. Maybe he was with Daily Planet. I don't remember. George Taylor Jr. was with Star City's Daily Star. So I, I my, of course, my initial assumption was Haney just didn't care. He just took the Earth to editor and started writing him. But no, there was a backstory to it. And the appearances, there were six of them prior to this. And you know, and the guys who wrote them were Jack C. Harris and you mentioned Jerry Conway. Those are the two guys that wrote about George uh, Taylor Jr., which if you don't know, the, that's a Firestorm pedigree. Uh, Jerry Conway created Firestorm and Jack C. Harris was the editor of the first issue of Firestorm. So that's kind of cool. Oh, I didn't know that about Jaxie Harris. Yep. And I went back and read some of those in preparation of this episode. I really did research here. And George Taylor is like a completely normal guy. 
until Bob Haney took over. Then suddenly he becomes all campy of trying to prove Oliver Queen is, in fact, uh, a Green Arrow. Because like originally when he gets introduced, he's like, you know, he, it's about his son. And then later on, he he reaches out to Green Arrow and says, hey, you know, you ran for office and didn't work out. How about you come and share your viewpoint here in the newspaper? Why don't you write a column for us? And so he starts writing the column. And then there's a couple of really good installments, like hard crime kind of installments. And they, they tie him with the Black Canary stuff. And then all of a sudden, Bob Haney takes over and it turns into ridiculous. Silver Age. I mean, for me, it actually felt like a slide backwards because the previous Green Arrow and Black Canary stories I felt were really, really good. So while this one's zany and I love Bob Haney, I guess it irritated me because the ones before were so much better, I felt like. I, I, I could see what you're saying. I just thought this was sort of charming and it's sort of goofy old schoolness. I think it is kind of a step back, but I don't mean that in a bad way. I think this is just very much a Silver Agey kind of thing. I mean, I'm, I, I do wonder how bright George Taylor Jr. could be that he can't figure out that a guy, there's a guy in his mid-30s who's blonde and he has a little Van Dyke beard is not the same guy as Green Arrow. He can't quite figure that one well, out. I think like, he's figured it out. Uh, he just can't prove it. Well, okay. But I mean, I, I don't know. I, I, they, I don't get that indication. I mean, I think, yeah, maybe he knows it, but if you think you could just, I don't know. I, I would go to this level, level of trouble, I guess, to do it. And then my, actually my favorite part of the, of the story is the end where Oliver Queen and Dinah Lance are in George Taylor's office and they've got the barrel full of money for the charity, which is great. And then, of course, you know, he's like, well, you still owe me a column, Queen. And he's like, oh, it's about to come right on time. And here comes a green arrow, comes flying through the window, funks into the wall with the column attached to it. And Taylor's like, I don't believe this is happening. And it's this last panel where you just see from the from the building, it says, if Green Arrow fired the shaft, then you, Queen, can't be him. But I know that's not true. Maybe I'm losing my marbles, going bananas. I need a vacation, a new line of work, anything. And what we see is we see there is a bow attached to a timer sitting on a building. And you have to kind of just piece that together yourself that that's what Green Arrow could do. And that's – I think there's something about the Haney just – establishing his rapport with the audience that that's they don't even have to explain it beyond that it's like oh there's an alarm clock attached to green arrow's bow oh okay i get it he timed it all look of course he could do that he could time an arrow that flies across halfway the city into a building sure why not i'm embarrassed to say i didn't even notice that that little thing in the bottom corner of that panel until you just mentioned it (laughs) I just, well, how did you think the arrow? I just got figured there? he arranged it, and I'm like, we're just supposed to assume. I don't know. I was like, and, and by the way, <laughs> he hired speed. I kind of stopped caring too after a while with this one, which sounds terrible because there is some cool stuff in there. Like at one point, again, you know, Green Arrow sitting on his post on top of a flagpole, he's hanging upside down by his feet to shoot an arrow at a helicopter, which is pretty dramatic and pretty exciting, especially with Von Eden drawing it. But it's just the story that's kept getting under my skin. I, I see what you're saying. And I, don't I, mean, I, I sound I, like I, a, you know, I'm, I'm a wet blanket here. So you should share your love, and I should just shut up is what should happen. Uh, I, well, I agree with that. Yeah, no. Uh, I like the story a lot because it is Trevor Von Neden. I'm a big fan of Trevor Von Neden. I don't think him and Rodden Rodriguez are the best combination. I kind of like uh, Von Eden's kind of real scratchy style, and Rodden Rodriguez is the opposite of that. But I think I, I think he and Green Arrow are meant to be together. Like mm. that miniseries they did in the 80s, I just think is fantastic. I don't know. I just found it really charming. I just liked, again, it's a one and done. I mean, not that. A lot of Haney stories are not one and dones, but I kind of like that it's just this little silly little story just done in seven pages. And you're right, it is very Superman Lois Lane in the Golden Age with this the you know one of the genders swap. But that's what I don't know. That's what I kind of liked about it. Would I would I want to have read this every month? This kind of 
fluff? No, but as a little one-off, I just think it's cute that Green Arrow is doing this, and like he's sort of like the he's the friendly Batman of the city. Yeah. I like that, and I like that Dinah is his sort of girl Friday. I like that she's never Black Canary. Mm. Like she's Dinah the whole time. That's, like, that's like a nice little touch. I just think that's kind of cool. So I don't know. I thought it was charming, and I like that it's Haney and in a different gear. Yeah, yeah, very that much. That he's not he's not doing anything completely nuts. It's just telling this this little silly story, and I, I don't know. I I found it charming. I will fully endorse the pre. Green Arrow and Black Canary segments in uh, in the world's finest that led up to this. Those are absolutely phenomenal. In fact, Ryan covered quite a few of them on. Um, oh, I can't remember whether it was Flowers and Fishnets or Power of Fishnets, but he, he covered them on his Green on his uh, Black Canary podcast. So yeah, right, good stuff. So all in all, both fun. I, I don't mean to be such a Debbie Downer about the Green Arrow one. I'm sorry, folks, but uh, yeah, it, but there I recognize the fun of it and the spirit of it, and uh, there's things to love about it. So both, all in all, fantastic books. So. Always something we're celebrating with Bob Haney. What I want you to do, folks, I want you to go out to the comments and on our website. What's that website, Rob? Fireandwaterpodcast.com. And, and we will, by the way, we will have some images from both of these stories out on our website. So you can check those out. There'll be a gallery post. But I want you guys to put in the comments and give us some suggestions of absolutely bonkers Bob Haney stories that we haven't covered yet. And maybe let's try and veer away from Brave and the Bold because we've done so many Brave and the Bold. We just always go back to the well because we love it. But, you know, give us some others. Anyways, I know Ange has given us some great ones. He did some that Supergirl Wonder Woman team up he suggested for us, which was oh, that's a bonkers totally bonkers where they go to Paris and become – they just give up being superheroes to be, what, models or whatever it was? Oh, my gosh. <laughs> As girls do. Right? Yeah, I know. So, anyway, give us some more suggestions because we want to do some more of these and we want to hear some great bonkers ones that we may not, may not even be on our radar. So, that would be great, folks. Um, you can also go on Facebook or Twitter and find us at FW Podcast on uh, Fire and Water Podcast on both of them. You can find Rob as Aquaman Shrine and every third ha- Twitter handle on the internet. And you can find me as Firestorm Fan on both Facebook and Twitter as well. Am I forget anything, buddy? No, I think that's it. Uh, we said I we it's I think it's sort of instructive that there are I, we should I can pull behind the curtain a little bit here. We mostly have our shows planned out, like what topics we're going to do, and then every so often we'll have a week where th- because of just different things we don't have anything lined up, and we we tend to go back to stuff that is just fun to do. And it doesn't require it's not that it doesn't require work. Yeah, it gives us joy. It's just something, and and these Haneys are always that because I just know I'm like I did not. I actually picked the, the Screen Arrow story before I read it. Hmm. I just was like, okay, uh, let me see. I don't want to do a Brave and the Bold because I know Shag's doing a Brave and the Bold. I love Green Arrow. Oh look, he wrote some solo Green Arrow stories. I'll just do one of those. And I picked um, the. Sh- I shot an hour into there because I like the title, hmm. and I was just like, okay, this sounds like fun. And then when I read it, I was like, okay, yeah, this is exactly it. Again, <laughs> it's. it's 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 Bob in a in a lower gear, but I still enjoy that. And I just I don't know. I kind of like the the we keep using this word, but it kind of the joy he sort of brings to it. You know what I mean? Like he just was having fun telling stories, and there's, there's something very pleasurable uh, in reading that. Well, you know, he got a reputation for his stuff not making any sense continuity wise. They often would joke about what they call it, Earth B. I think they called it right for Bob Haney stories back something like yeah. or Earth Haney too. Yeah. I think they and and Rob and I decided at some point we just wanted to celebrate that rather than take it down for the way it which I was whiny about this episode I realized but uh, celebrate the fun and wackiness of it and um, I love that. I think that's great. So any any story where anything can happen is fun. Exactly. So all right, I think we're beating a, we're beating a dead horse here over and over. We love it. That's the bottom line is we love it and we love the wackiness of it. We love the oh I don't know zany of it. So mm-hmm. you, uh, if you're going to talk about this, by the way, on social media, use the hashtag 
Zany Haney. Please use that. that. That always makes it fun, easier for people to find the comments on this one, too. All right, folks, I guess that's going to do it. Um, I, I guess our normal tagline doesn't really make sense. So we should just say, until next time, <laughs> Zany Haney. scratches, I'll buff them out. Or at least, you know, pay someone else to do it. I know it's generous, but we're both in the billionaire masked vigilante making the world a better place game, so I figure... <laughs>